0: Hello, my name is Gabi Mosler. I'm actually the vice president of patent development within Ericsson. And I'm happy to be here today and share with you some of my thoughts. And you're listening to IP Fridays.
1: Hello and welcome to this episode of IP Fridays. Our names are Ken Suzanne and Rolf Clayson, And this is the podcast dedicated to intellectual property. It does not matter where you are from. In-house or private practice, novice or expert, we will help you stay up to date with current topics in the fields of trademarks, patents, design and copyright, discover useful tools and much more.
2: Welcome to episode 138 of IP Fridays. My co-host Ken, Suzanne, and I are attending the 2023 INTA annual meeting in Singapore in May. So if you want to meet us in person, feel free to reach out to us and get a meeting set up with us. Today's interview guest is Gabriele Mosler of Ericsson. And we talk about a large variety of topics such as the UPC, patent quality, standard essential patents and patenting artificial intelligence. But before we jump into the interview, I have news for you. Germany has ratified the UPC agreement, the agreement of the Unified Patent Court. So that means the patent court will open its doors on 1st of June. And that also means that the sunrise period for opting out European patents starts on 1st of March 2023. Also, the German Patent and Trademark Office has a new president, Eva Shevior, has taken over the lead. Before that, she was responsible for the German Patent and Trademark Office, and the European Patent Office and the Federal Patent Court on the side of our government, working for the Ministry of Justice in Germany. Now, let's jump into the interview with Gabriele Mosler. Today's interview guest is Gabi Mosler. If you don't know uh, Gabi Mosler, she is currently serving as VP Patent Development at Ericsson and has been with Ericsson since over 26 years and holds a degree of RWTH Aachen in Electrical, Electronic and Communications Engineering. Thank you for being on the show. Happy to be here. Thank you for inviting me. And together with Siemens and uh, other industry partners, we have signed the Industry Patent Quality Charter just after the EPO had published their patent quality charter. Uh, Probably not a coincidence, the the similar name. How do do the two uh, charters differ and what is your goal for Ericsson signing this charter?
0: Okay, the patent quality charter, which we see from the EPO and the one, our industry quality charter, they go well along. But what the European Patent Office is putting down in the quality charter is, in our view, more the operational things, getting patents granted in a short time, having a fast procedure and so on. What the industry quality charter, which Ericsson signed, is about is that we get valid patents, Useful patents at the end so that we have patentable subject matter, which there's not no prior art that is exactly checked on the prior art, that we have patents that are enforceable. And I would say here, with all the respect, and we are happy to see what the EPO does on the speed and on the internal processes on this. This is one thing, but what the industry, the filers, the patent applicants need to do is more to see that the quality of the end product the granted patent is there and i think there we have a little bit different views and this is what we are trying to align and i'm happy to share with you that the uh, epo now reached out to us and is planning a meeting together with us um it might happen in the beginning of february and we hope that we are able to share and convince also the european patent office what quality means to us versus what quality means to them i think we need to get this getting together because um, it's it's the basis for these companies signing. And there is, um, I think, around 14, 15 companies currently signing. There's some more that are reaching out to us. And we hope that we even get more companies. What we are talking here is quality over quantity. Quantity, everybody can file hundreds and thousands of patents. That's I would not everybody, but you could sh- surely do it. But what is quality? So I think I'm... Myself, Ericsson owns 60,000 granted patents. I promise you, I could have 80,000 in a year if I want to. But that's not what we are aiming for. We are aiming for having quality patents in it. And um, we have to admit that even in our portfolio, you would find patents which maybe are not valid. That is possible in all of them. But the threshold has to be higher. The number of granted patents that are valid and uphold any potential litigation That has to be high. And this is what we are in our quality charter aiming for. And that's why we were very happy when we saw that uh, Siemens started the initiative and we were one of the first ones signing and we are the core team of of, uh, going for this.
2: Yes. um, uh, From the outcomes of um, oppositions at the EPO, you can easily see that about a third of all attack patents are um, revoked. So probably there's room uh, for improving the quality of um, the granting procedure although i also agree that uh, the epo does a very good job compared to other patent offices to uh, with the granting procedure and with the search and um, so but um, i wanted to ask you um, what patent quality means for you um, do you have any measurements do you quantify patent quality and if so, what would be the metrics that you use to um, to assess patent quality at Ericsson?
0: For us, uh, patent quality really is that we have a well searched and well examined patent that uh, finds all the prior art around and that on top has a, has a very good examination procedure by the patent offices. So that um, the examiners getting the search reports looks into is it really patentable? Is there any prior art? Is the inventive step there? Is it usable at that end and find all around the world prior art? As you mentioned before, Rolf, I think you said um, the the European Patent Office does a very good work. I fully agree to this. They have a very broad range of looking for prior art. The point is, um, do the examiners get enough time to grant this patent, which they really are convinced that they are valid and where they have searched for all possible prior art? And this is what we're aiming for. And that's what quality is for us. That it is, we can, you know, just imagine I put a patent in my uh, portfolio and then there's prior art around and it could be easily found. And now I think that's what we are filing, what we are paying for with our, our payments and that's what I need in the portfolio and that's where quality comes. Then other quality is, is it... Broad enough in the claims, but also not too broad. But uh, also that it really reads on on potential competitor products because we are doing licensing in Ericsson.
2: So you mentioned licensing. Uh, that is one of your income streams uh, at Ericsson, and uh, that is that probably makes it different from some competitors. Um, how does that influence your IP strategy? Do you have a different filing strategy than competitors? Can you see that uh, that? Um, the licensing business of Ericsson makes uh, makes it different.
0: Very interesting question. Well, I'm happy to answer. Um, le- let me share with you that um, Ericsson is is quite active in the development of new telecommunication standards. And in this area, we invest heavily. For example, as today, we are already investing in 6G, already for a while. What 6G is going to be, we learn. So investments is there. Then in a few years, the standardization allows any company to use this technology and, and build on it their own whatever products, phones and whatever. And we need this return on invest uh, because we spend all the time in developing the networks, the components and the stuff there. And this is our licensing income. And as you said, this is an important stream for us in order to be able to reinvest the money now already into 6G and develop the new standards. What does this mean for patenting? Coming back to your question, we are filing cases that are not reading necessarily on our products, but that are reading on technology, which might be broadly deployed and used by others. And for us, if we are looking what we should file, of course, we sometimes have cases that we say, are we going to build a product on? But we are filing cases which are, which we are think is technology-wise one of the best solution to solve a problem, to solve a technical problem. But it doesn't matter if we use it. So, For us, the filing strategy involves, is there a business case for filing the case? If nobody will implement it, nobody will use it or infringement is not detectable, why should we file? And we have cases which are perfectly patentable, which we don't file because we say the likelihood of finding an infringement is nearly zero or the business applicability is very low. Um, and so we have to put a guess on this very early on, and then we file cases. So we file cases that we are very sure or rather sure that could be used later on um, in licensing areas as well. But of course, also we have portfolios that are reading on our products and other areas. That's the majority. Then we have adjacent areas uh, where we are filing cases. and um, But the strategy really follows, is there a business for this in the future?
2: Right. Okay. so probably not so very different from, for example, Samsung or other telecommunications uh, companies.
0: I think um, there might be similar strategies in the area, like our major competitors might do the same because this standardization gives the access to everybody. But exactly how they file and where, I think that has to be seen. Yeah,
2: sure. Uh, now, let's switch to a different topic uh, the Unified Patent Court. Uh, the UPC is opening the doors in June. Are you prepared?
0: Of course we are. Of course. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know when I when I was uh, the young patent engineer coming to Ericsson and, and even before we were waiting for the unified patent court, the unitary patent to come. And um, then there were times in between we thought it's never going to happen. Now it's there. I'm a strong supporter and believer in the system. I think it's gonna it's good because um, when what I said before, licensing is for us one of the business streams we are working on and getting licensed. Income to go court by court in Europe versus, for example, US and others, is not really um, the best way going forward. With the unitary patent now coming into place and the unitary patent court covering the 17 countries of the moment, this is clearly going to be much more interesting for us to go with our patents. Having said this, a new court, a new system, unknown things, unknown decisions. We are also a little bit reluctantly looking what's going to happen. At the same time, we will have patents in the unitary patent system. I'm very sure we will also use the unitary patent court system because we think it's uh, a good setup that's planned. There are good judges we saw. I like the idea with the technical judges combined. So it's clearly something. Yes, we are prepared. We've been waiting for so long. Now finally it comes. And at the end, I think it's a good system. It's good for Europe. It's good to have it.
2: You already mentioned that you will use the system so you will not opt out all your patents out of the uh, within the sunrise period before the start of the UPC system. Do you opt out most patents or um, or let's say half or only a few or the most important ones or what, what is your strategy for opting out? Um, and explain we, will, what, uh, we will opt out maybe between 20 and 30 percent that's okay. All. Okay that's not so much.
0: Yeah. No, it's not so much. We have discussed this thoroughly. And I think it's good to not opt out that many. We need to support also the system. And um, at the end, after sunrise period, we will have the Unitary Patent Court system as a basis. So why not use it from day one? So and we are not afraid of this. Um, and of course, strategies might change in the company. But our current assumption is that maximum 30% are opted out. And that's fine. I mean, put majority in the new system and keep
2: some out and see right so that also would give you the opportunity to also shape the early legislation and the the early case law um, in the system Um, because if you are opting out everything you cannot really influence the early case law and as we can see from the um, european patent convention the epc um, uh, that was really the most important decisions came in the very early years, and I also expect that for the UPC to happen. So um I'm very grateful that uh, that you are saying this uh, because, yeah, some have different opinions, but um, some are also very pro uh, UPC, and uh, they will use the system. And I think they will have a big advantage because they can shape the case law in their direction. Mm. <laughs> or i have at least the chance to shape the case law in that direction
0: <laughs> that's uh, that's what we are what we are looking into and what we hope so i think it is um important to to test out a system i heard from a lot of companies that they're more in the waiting phase we might also decide later on let's see what's going and then go into it but we are clearly not afraid of the system and as you say it might be good to start shaping the new system
2: right so the rules of the UPC system have been influenced by many different legislations here in Europe um, for example also the UK and they are not even part of the system anymore um, so what would your an, an ideal team look like uh, for you to litigate patents before the UPC and uh, what would uh, would that be different to the current situation where you probably have most litigation in Germany and some in France and some in Italy and some in UK Um, how would the team differ?
0: I think it's not differing that much because when we currently do litigation, we don't take just one country. I mean, you could look at... What we did in the past, you might have seen, we used France, we used the Netherlands, we used Germany. Yes, we used UK. they're not in anymore. But this didn't work in the past without coordination. What are we doing? What are the advantages in the system? So if you now would go for the unitary patent, we would team up these people instead of saying you take Germany and you take Netherlands, we would say you team up as much as the judges will team up. So as an international company, I think it's not this much of a difference um we will of course need to get our experience out of this but from the teaming up i think um i don't see a big difference really
2: right the the deadlines are quite tight because uh, you only have 3 3 months to reply to um a complaint and also file your nullity action the revocation action. So yeah, so team is probably necessary, and uh, that's probably a good approach to just team up all the different experts from the different countries to um, find a good solution for you, right?
0: If I may comment on this, I think the short timelines and having a decision, which they say roughly in a year, is also a big advantage because if you want, or it, and it's it's also controversial. You might get we might get litigation against us. We have to. Be, all the time have, and then we also in this fast system. But to get a fast decision is a a good thing. Yes, you're right. You have short time limits to to do certain things. And I would say, and that's maybe the advantage of a little bit bigger company, you need a little bit bigger team. So maybe let me add to what you said before that, um, yes, we team up people, but we might have more teams in the background to support. If the deadlines are getting short and you have to do it within a short time, you need to team up more for but, but for a bigger company like us, having more people in the IP department, that's easier possible. I right. feel a little bit with the smaller companies on this that this is more tricky, but but we would need to have backup people and we could have it. And I can just say in my departments around the world, and especially also Europe, people are very eager. They are happy to be involved in such cases. Right offensive or defensive
2: right and you would probably then have a team for prior art search one team for case law search and and so on right yes you would have luxury to to be able to do that
0: (laughs) yeah you know it's um of course also bigger companies have cost restrictions and and on this but at the same time i think getting a decision within time makes things more efficient at the end for everybody
2: right uh, let's also talk about uh, patent pools that are probably quite inter- interesting and important for you in the standard essential patents. What in your opinion are the most important developments in the past years and what is your current wish list for the future? <laughs>
0: i mean it should. it's maybe not not the news uh, people that would know me that um i'm was quite early thinking that the Avanci patent pool for licensing in the automotive area was a good idea and um if you go back a little bit in time it's bringing license source together uh, that have a lot of patents the big ones the smaller ones the npes and the active companies and then um, it offers a large percentage of SCP patents in a specific area admittedly automotive to license so i think for me this is very efficient and um it it was a good way of of approaching um the automotive industry in my view for giving them access to to a lot of standard essential patents in the field so that it still took that long and only in 2022 a vast majority of licensees came in. That was a little bit to my unhappiness, I should say, that it really took this long because it was, in a way, at the beginning, worked upon together with automotive companies saying, why can't you bring licensors together? And then Avanzi did, and then it still took years and even litigation for them to finally sign. But I think that was a good development Having said this, as you, as you pointed it out to the standard essential patents, um, we are doing bilateral licensing with most of the manufacturers of mobile phones or mobile equipment, and that is the most efficient for us. So, only when there is efficiency gains in getting all the licensees together, then it, the pool makes sense. And Avansi is one. I'm, I'm, there's others, CISWAL has pools that are very efficient. But I think um, for me, the automotive one was one of the most. Efficient ones,
2: and the role model probably for other industries as well.
0: <laughs> yeah, let's see. I think that's that um, has to be seen, but it was uh, was a fairly good approach, I would say, and giving an also the the um, the price, putting the price in publics, knowing what the price is. I think that was which other pools do as well, but that was the first time we did it, and it's not an unknown thing. Um, to know what, what do you pay for. And it was $15 at the beginning. It's 20 now. But, but you know, I'm not an Avanzi employee. But we felt from an Ericsson point of view, it's a very efficient way. But let, let me say one thing to this, because lately there has been some development. It's called um, LNG, License Negotiation Groups, for the licensees trying to team up. And I saw and heard that there's an interest specifically from automotive companies doing that. But I think the competition law is not really allowing this and it's good that it doesn't. I know that some friends in automotive industry still try to propagate it. But in my view, what they want to do is to get the licensees together to negotiate with like a pool. But that is I think not allowing, if this would be allowed, legally allowed, which I think it isn't, it would bring licensees not to negotiate bilaterally or it would not bring uh, bring licensees not to negotiate with a pool in a one-to-one. And I think this would be a big holdout. And I just hope that people understand that to get licensees together is something different than bringing licensors together. It's not the same. If you give out the right and say you can access this is the price, and then you cannot team up with licensees and expect that this is legally okay because this is this bundling and trying to put the market force to put the prices down. And if this is the ambition, and I'm getting a little bit um, picky on this, but if, uh, and it could be that the ambition is to put these LNGs together to bring the prices down. And I think that's not the right approach.
2: Let's see if someone brings this to court and then how this is decided. <laughs> that would be interesting. <laughs> All right. Um One other thing I wanted to talk about, the, the German Federal Court of uh, the German Federal Supreme Court has recently limited or some say they crippled uh, the claim for injunction a couple of years ago and then also the law was changed in Germany, the patent law, uh, the paragraph for injunctions. Um, for the business model of Ericsson what was that good or bad for you or, and do you have sympathy for the car manufacturers that initiated this in Germany <laughs> uh,
0: <laughs> Let let me talk about the fact yeah um, I mean some say there was a major change in it but in my view it wasn't it was just clarifying The point of that there should be a proportionality check that was done before as well. The courts had this and did it. And now it's put in the the article and it says that a a proportionality test could be done. But in my view, nothing changed. And I think I'm here in good company with a lot of judges that said, but this is just putting down what was done. So in my view, and I can just share that Ericsson and I personally was very involved in these discussions at that time, how the new article should look like. But in my view, it just made a clarification and that it could be done as it was done before. And at the moment, I mean, the argument could be brought up before it can be brought up today. And uh, but I haven't seen lately decisions that took the proportionality point into so much account. I don't think that's anything changed, it just there was a change in law, and I would say fortunately it didn't limit, and that was the initial ambition to limit injunctions on more complex products. But I think injunctions is a means. To, um, uh, that has to stay in Germany and has to be there and has to be used in Germany. I think this is injunctions is important and um to get. It's not to pressure somebody to take a license, but if you don't have injunctions and very limited uh damage fees, I think that there will it will not, uh, will not succeed.
2: Right. So the, I think the recent too, decisions they they show that uh, the judges still um um, give you injunctions as uh, um, as the claimant
0: At the same time if there is proportionality check done and it is showing that it wouldn't be i would be unproportional to do so then i think it's, it's it's a valid claim and people can or companies can make it and it should be considered but as i said it was it was not changed in my view.
2: Right. A last point that I wanted to talk about is AI, artificial Mm -hmm. intelligence. So AI is an important topic for you, for Ericsson. Um, Where do you see the case law going for patenting AI? Will it be more or less the continuation of the rules for software or will it be probably developed in a different direction, making it more easy to get patents for AI? And probably there are also other issues like how do you protect a data model or something that is very complex or not even evident for the, for the people who do the research? Um, how do you tackle this issue with AI and where do you see it going?
0: Yeah, AI, of course, as you mentioned, is important um, for Ericsson as well. We do patent filings in the AI area. What we currently see is that um, we, of course, get patents granted on AI-related matters, but it requ- we get also a lot of um, non-grants out of this where we need to see and what are the arguments and maybe appeal the decision on it. It's a little bit tougher, and I just lately saw statistics from not that long time ago that only less than half of the patents are granted that are filed in the area, and that's uh, not the statistics we see from our normal areas. We see that... um, The argument, it's not technical, is coming up quite often. So it's quite challenging to get patents granted there. And on top, what we see is that um, the U.S. and China grants the cases a little more easily than the European Patent Office does. And what a company like Ericsson would like to have is some harmonization and legal security in it. I don't think it's appropriate that um, there's different methods done different offices can have different methods for sure but it would harm europe uh, if 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 there would be less grants on it and then also what we lately saw We need to investigate a little bit uh, in this that we are asked to put in use cases where the technology is uh, in the AI, in the AI core. And then um, quite often we just get non-unitary complaints about us and should pay more. So I think it's a challenging area. It is also a trial and error for us to talk with the offices. We are very determined to file appeals on these cases and discuss with the boards of appeal what should be patentable or not. I appreciate not everything can be patentable, you file, but I think we should get a uniform, harmonized way of doing it around the world, ideally, and then also get patents where, for example, the core is really technical, be able to get patents on. It's It would harm us on the long run, on everybody, if you can't get patents on this, but not on any trivial things.
2: Okay, That is That was a really good interview, I think. Uh, Our listeners will be very grateful for your insights. And we talked about many different topics and we were probably barely able to scratch the surface of these topics. But uh, you gave uh, very important insights for our listeners, Um, especially the interviews with corporate counsel are most popular among our listeners. So I'm very grateful that you have been on the show. Thank you very much.
0: Thank you, Rolf. It was a pleasure to be here and happy to answer any other questions. If somebody wants to reach out, please do.
2: Yes, probably we can tell them where I can find you. They can find you on LinkedIn. And is there any other preferred uh, method of contacting you?
0: I think LinkedIn is great, uh, but be prepared. My name is officially Gabriele. So if you look for for Gabi, you might not find it, but Gabriele, you're going to find.
2: Right. Okay, thank you very much. Thank you, Ross.
1: That's it for this episode. If you liked what you heard, please show us your love by visiting ipfridays.com slash love and tweet a link to this show. We would be so grateful if you would do that. It would help us out to get the word out. Also, please subscribe to our podcast at ipfridays.com or on iTunes or Stitcher.com. If you have a question or want to be featured in one of the upcoming episodes, please send us your feedback at ipfridays.com slash feedback. Also, please leave us a review on iTunes. You can go to ipfridays.com slash iTunes, and it will take you right to the correct page on iTunes. If you want to get mentioned on this podcast, or even have comments within the next episode, Please leave us your voicemail at ipfridays.com/voicemail. You have been listening to an episode of IP Fridays. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of nor are they endorsed by their respective law firms. None of the content should be considered legal advice. The IP Fridays podcast should not be construed as legal advice or legal opinion on any specific facts or circumstances. The contents of this podcast are intended for general informational purposes only, and you are urged to consult your own lawyer on any specific legal questions. As always, consult a lawyer or patent or trademark attorney. Copyright 2014, all rights reserved.